You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado. For episode 324 of this podcast, today is Monday, February 7th, 2022, and I missed my goal. I missed my goal for this weekend. If you were listening to the past couple of episodes, you know I've been working my way through Alexis de Tocqueville's Democracy in America for the first time. I've never read it before. I hope to read some additional, more period, original source uh, reflections on American history. After this, I've got the Federalist Papers, which are referenced by de Tocqueville in my wish list. Those are going to be in the queue, I think, coming up next after de Tocqueville. But I was hoping before the weekend was through to finish Democracy in America and to be able to start off everyone else's work week by giving you a review of that book. It's going to have to wait. I should be able to finish it today. I just have a few hours left, but didn't quite make it through the weekend. But stay tuned. Tune in. Tomorrow, I hope, depending on what the news cycle holds, I hope to have a review of that book. For those of you who haven't read it, I highly recommend, I highly recommend. For anyone interested in American history, you need to read de Tocqueville. Don't just pull quotes out and don't just rely on other people to tell you what de Tocqueville said. Read it for yourself. Get commentary by all means, but... As with any subject, the closer you can get to the original source material, the better you are. And sometimes if you're dealing with the original source material, it can be helpful to get commentary to give you a better understanding, to have some intermediaries who have maybe studied that more in depth, to highlight certain things that are obscure, that don't quite click at first glance. But that said... De Tocqueville is a very easy to read, in my opinion, uh, observer of early American life, writing in 1831, spending nine months traveling the United States. Uh, Early on, I thought he painted a fairly rosy picture, had a lot of really good things to say, very complimentary of many aspects of American society. As you go further into the book, He is much more even-handed, so he's not engaging in hero worship. He's also not engaging in a kind of demonization, which is all too common in more modern treatments of American history. But more on that to come. For this episode, I want to talk specifically about the Freedom Convoy, so-called trucker protests up in Canada. And a video was sent to me by my cousin Brent last night, and I watched the whole thing. It was a treatment of a live-streamed city council meeting 
emergency Zoom call between, I believe it was three city council members, also some oversight uh, representatives, uh, persons who were citizens and also uh, bureaucrats and members of the city's administration who provide oversight for the police department in Ottawa, also the police chief and some other law enforcement uh, officers from the Ottawa Police Department. Ottawa, as you will know, is the capital city of Canada. It is also the focus of major protests, not from some fringe group. We're talking allegedly tens of thousands of truckers in Canada. And Rebel News is doing a good job of covering this. If you want to see some footage and some video, check out Ezra Levant and Rebel News. You can follow them on Twitter. They also have their own website, rebelnews.ca, I believe is what it is. But it is not a fringe group. And the more photographs and video, more to the point, I'm seeing a lot more video than I am photographs, but the more video I see, the less credible any claims are, to my mind, that this is just some fringe group of radicals. Trudeau has tried to paint these protests, these nationwide protests against the lockdowns, against the COVID vaccine mandates, against the mask mandates, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Trudeau, Canada's prime minister, has tried to paint these as some kind of a fringe conspiracy theorist, radical insurrectionist thing. That's not what they are. This is the people of Canada as a people, as a nation, saying enough is enough. And you know it's bad when mild-mannered Canadians who typically just like to enjoy their hockey and their maple syrup and their ice fishing get this worked up about anything. But you have Canadian truck drivers and farmers and ranchers showing up in their big rigs and their tractors and their horses. As some of the footage I saw of Canadian ranchers from Alberta heading for the border between the United States and Canada are just stunning. I don't use that word lightly, but just stunning because it looks like a massive uprising. It is not a fringe movement. It's a massive uprising against an oppressive totalitarian government that is out of control. And if you know anything about Trudeau and the events of recent years, even prior to COVID, he is a globalist. He's a globalist of globalists. He is not first and foremost for the Canadian people. He's first and foremost for the global community. And he has remarked throughout the whole COVID pandemic lockdown situation in Canada that they are going to take the important lessons they've learned through handling the crisis, which they in large part have caused and created by their handling of COVID-19, they're going to take the lessons learned and apply those to their response to climate change. Which is to say that if you're a Canadian and you're living under these draconian measures 
and this deprivation of your liberties and your freedoms, your God-given inalienable rights as people created in God's image, there is no end to how long they will keep up what they're doing to you. Once COVID blows over, they're hoping that you will be conditioned enough to this kind of control and oversight and regulation and micromanaging that it's seamless. It's a seamless transition to shutting down your economy, throttling back your economy to supposedly save the planet. But really what it is, it's a massive wealth redistribution scheme. It is a plan for a one world government and for global communism. I, I'm sorry, that's that's what it is. That's what the globalists have in view. And there's some interesting reading I could recommend if you have the time. Revolt of the Elites and the Betrayal of Democracy is a work I read last year. Uh, but the quick Cliff's Notes version is that post-World War II, a class of wealthy people, particularly in the West, but all over the world really, stopped seeing themselves as citizens of their native country. And they started increasingly seeing themselves as global citizens. And that's a phrase you'll hear when you listen to interviews done with wealthy people who own these multinational, international, transnational corporations. They will refer to themselves as global citizens. And they will refer to their leadership initiatives with their companies as being predicated on the idea that we need to be good global citizens. That's not coincidental, and it's not without negative consequence. There might be some positive, warm and fuzzy feelings that are associated with it in our minds, like, oh, yeah, that's cool, global citizen. Yeah, like we should care about the whole world. We just fought a World War II to try and liberate the world from Imperial Japan and Nazi Germany and fascist Italy. Uh, of course, yeah, we, we need to care about the world. We had to rebuild the world to some extent. So we thought, or so we were told after World War II. And so, yeah, that would, that would just extend onward. And the crisis is never over because there's always the potential for another world war. And the folks who took those reins post-World War II, never gave them up. But the more international their tastes became, the more they stopped thinking of themselves first and foremost as, let's say, for instance, Americans or Canadians, the less their leadership in their native country has had to, in their minds, in their hearts, be predicated on what's in the national self-interest. And if you take that and you follow it on out, you, you get global elites who have far more in common with one another than they do with the citizens of a certain country. So the Canadian people who are out in force, and if they're not driving a big rig or a tractor or riding a horse to shut down the country as they call for new leadership, they are men, women, and children standing on overpasses and on the sides of roads, and on the sides of streets as these convoys pass through, holding up signs, cheering, because for once in a long time, 
they feel some hope. They feel some optimism. Hey, maybe, just maybe, we can turn this thing around. Maybe we don't have to be slaves to these folks who, in their own minds, owe no allegiance higher than to this global order, this post-war consensus. R.R. Reno is another good one to read, chief editor at First Things Magazine. He writes a book called Return of the Strong Gods, in which he postulates that the post-war consensus wanted to do away with strong loyalties, strong passions for things like your nation, your religion, your creed, your family even. Because those passions are the sorts of things that wars, which turn into world wars, derive their strength and fury from. And so very much like Brave New World, very much like 1984, the post-war consensus gradually turned from this kinder, gentler approach to weaning us from those strong gods, uh, symbolically put, to getting us to let go of our grip through more assertive means and measures. And I really do think this whole COVID response, not COVID itself, but the COVID response has been a lot of phony alarmism and fear-mongering and demagoguery. Uh, it has been the intention of these global elites to push for a lot of things that they knew under normal circumstances, except for in an emergency, they would not be able to sell to the public. They may have tried their best with a kinder, gentler, nanny state approach, giving children a very watered-down, very neutered, values-free, supposedly, education in public schools, feeding them this deluge of vapid, materialistic, shallow entertainment, primarily through pop music and not all movies. There's depth to some movies, but even the really popular movies, typically the script is watered down and is designed to get you to question truth and to deconstruct truth, deconstruct reality. There's been a war on, and Francis Schaeffer talks about this in Escape from Reason, there's been a war on for the past century against confident assertions of truth and beauty and goodness and believing that there is such a thing as an objective standard of truth and beauty and goodness. There's been a war on for your soul and the souls of your parents and your grandparents for some time. Because by making war on those things, the powers that be believed they could bring about world peace and equity and diversity and inclusivity. And when you look at all of these seemingly disconnected, chaotic, insane pushes of a progressive nature in American society, at least, but I think around the world, anywhere our media and our State Department and our big corporations have been able to insert themselves. If you look at all these seemingly disconnected things, you find very quickly that actually there is a common denominator. The Madness of Crowds is another great book by 
Douglas Murray, in which he talks more in depth about the post-war consensus and progressivism and leftism, not just in the U.S., but also in the U.K. and in Europe with the European Union and whatnot, Brexit and the problem of mass importation of Muslims, not because we have anything against their ethnicity by any means, but because they have an antithetical civilization and culture, and they have, most of them, no intention of assimilating to the culture that they're being transplanted into. Meanwhile, they are increasingly assertive, especially as they take up a larger and larger percentage of the population. They're increasingly assertive of their native culture and their native religion. And meanwhile, the vacuum that's been created, thanks to the post-war consensus, has left many Europeans, many Westerners, and we're lagging behind Europe by a bit here in America, but also us too, we've been left largely defenseless as our civilization is picked apart, dismantled, and destroyed. And again, this is not to say immigration is a bad thing. Immigration's a great thing. But so also is love for your country, love for your way of life, love for your home. Love for your home. It is proper for me personally to love my country, to love my home state, to love my hometown, to love my family of origin. It is proper for me to have a loyalty to those places and those groups. Now, my overarching ultimate loyalty must be to God. But the, uh, the idea of breaking down all boundaries and all borders very quickly brings us to Brave New World. The idea of radical egalitarianism, unchecked, unfettered by any notion of property rights or boundaries, brings us very quickly to the dystopian fiction of Aldous Huxley, in which promiscuity is a virtue and monogamy is a vice because monogamy leads to attachment and attachment leads to the potential for jealousy potential for negative emotions. And so in the world of Aldous Huxley's dystopia, people who see the same person too often, for too long, are chided by their friends. Hey, you know what? You really should date around. You should see other people because we think you're getting too attached to this one person. And that's not good. That's, you know, those are not our community values, as they say. But Trudeau, for his part, is a global citizen. He is a mouthpiece. He is a figurehead for this global elite that does not feel that strong loyalty to any particular nation. They see themselves as belonging to the global elite. That's their in-group. That's their people. And what you can watch for is as the global elite feel threatened in Canada, their constituents and their representatives, their servants, their members here in the U.S. will also go on the attack against any show of support. Because, hey, you know what? If this takes off in Canada and it succeeds in Canada, that's going to spread here. And also, if you Americans start encouraging these Canadians, sending aid, because you recognize, you Americans recognize that this is 
a common cause, you have a common enemy, well then, the Canadians might just pull this off. They might just get a new government. They might just force Trudeau out. They might just force the unhinged, entitled, and contemptuous Ottawa City Council members I watched on the video clip sent to me last night out and get better representation and get government that actually is working for them instead of just working for this global elite, these global citizens who don't see themselves as beholden to or loyal to any particular person or group of people except their group, their club. Now, what I'm not saying is we should all engage in some kind of an armed uprising and an armed revolt and insurrection. I don't think we should be destroying property. Can I sympathize with Canadians who maybe are being kept awake and they may be a little bit stressed out about, okay, where are the foodstuffs and the supplies that are supposed to be on our shelves in these big cities? Where are they going to come from? How are they going to get to the store for me to go get those things if this keeps up much longer? But it's a bit of an impasse. It's such a fascinating thing that the truckers are doing this, particularly before you get automated self-driving semi-trucks. Once you get the automated self-driving trucks, it won't be possible to do this anymore, which might be part of the impetus for the Freedom Convoy to act now while supplies last, while the opportunity is there, while the window is open. But what if one of these city council members for Canada's capital city of Ottawa were to be listened to? Yeah, just, you know what, Look, can we just declare this a riot and start arresting these people in mass? We don't have time to wait for them to break laws and erase them one by one. These are insurrectionists. These are not reasonable people, says a member of the government, which, through Trudeau, refused to even meet with the truckers to discuss their grievances and their concerns, their complaints about what his decisions, his policies are doing to them and their families and their friends and their loved ones their communities. You want to talk about being under siege and being stressed out. Those truckers have been delivering goods to your supermarkets for the past two years while their communities and their provinces and their employers have been under siege. Not by a virus, but by a totalitarian government, which does not have it seems very, very clear. It does not have the best interest of the Canadian people at the front of their minds. See, that's the trouble when you start trying to implement a global communist revolution, redistributing wealth to some third world country. You don't ever have to be accountable for the success or failure thereof. You just have to do your part. You have to be a good little revolutionary. The suffering that it causes all the people close to you can be excused in your mind if you just tell yourself, this is helping somebody I haven't met somewhere else on the other side of the planet, probably, maybe, I don't know, probably, someday will. In the end, it'll be worth it, right? 
That's how all of these revolutions work. They are based on that kind of foolish hubris on the one hand, and they're based on fear and terror on the other hand. And what it takes to throw off one of these totalitarian regimes is the general populace deciding they're more afraid of keeping up the charade any longer than they are of what is going to be done to them if they stand up to it, if they assert their rights. They're more afraid of what does it look like if this is just the way that it is from now on. And rightly so. The Canadian people, I tease them and I give them a hard time for being so even-keeled and friendly and upbeat and They're just generally nice people in my experience, mild-mannered. I give them a little bit of a hard time for that, but they're not stupid people. They're not. So props to them, but watch for the American media to try and make this into a January 6th sort of a thing. Watch for them to try and claim this is Trump's fault too. Not so fast. Nice try. No, no, no. We're not buying what you're selling. You've lost all credibility with us and more and more and more of us as time goes on. I'm convinced that's the real reason why the left and the mainstream media brought the knives out for Joe Rogan here recently. He had the temerity to invite COVID dissenters on his podcast, yes, but In addition to that, he brought attention, he drew attention to what they were conspicuously trying to ignore and pretend was not happening in Canada with the trucker protests. You get, by some reports, 10 to 50,000 truckers talking about shutting down the capital city of Canada until the prime minister steps down and a new government's formed. And the mainstream media is not covering it. That's odd. Why wouldn't you? I feel like that would be news, right? That's that's the tell. <laughs> that's the tell that this is propaganda. It's not actually news, right? But I got to thinking to myself yesterday as I was talking with my wife. She wakes up, and I'm explaining to her the podcast episode that I recorded yesterday, which you can go back and listen to. I kind of played around with the title of it, but... Basically, the episode was about Joe Rogan and Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Brian Stelter and Christy Nome, governor of South Dakota, and not really about Jesse Waters. Whatever. Who cares about that guy? But really, first and foremost, about Brian Stelter and Joe Rogan as a study in contrasts. Two men with uh, not much hair on the tops of their heads. Very, very different. I think... In the one case, you have the typical hero of the blue-collar working-class man in America. And a lot of middle-class folks listen to Joe Rogan, know who he is. If they don't listen to him, it's because, yeah, you know, I'm not so much into the pot-smoking and the MMA and the being foul-mouthed and, you know, whatever. But Brian Stelter? Oh, No, 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 no. That guy is everything working class men, middle class even, try to raise their children to not be like, to raise their sons to not be like when they grow up. Brian Stelter is the poster boy 
for why we need fathers in homes being active. (laughs) Brian Stelter is a pajama boy in a suit with a nice desk. And Joe Rogan is a warrior. He's a fighter. And Brian Stelter goes in this line of reasoning against Joe Rogan that this guy just gets on there and just wings it every day and everybody wants to tune into that, but they don't want to tune into us, CNN, your trusted source for news. We have a whole department of scientists. We have a whole health department here just to make sure you're getting the sciencey science, all the scientists, scientists, scienty stuff. Scientism. We're doing science. We've got scientists. These are actual scientists. Not like Joe Rogan and all of those actual scientists, too, he has on his podcast to question and cross-examine the claims made on our programs. That's not science. Actually, you know what? It's better science. That's better science than what you're doing, CNN. You know, imagine, imagine, if you will, having the wealth to go out and buy a brand new Buick. Brand new, like brand spanking new, all the bells and whistles. Nice, like a nice, nice Buick. And then parking it in your backyard to kill the grass because you're going to plant a garden. Not driving it, not driving it around. But of course, I mean, you want people to see that you have a Buick, but you're not driving it around. You're not picking people up and taking them places and doing functional things and running errands. No, you're using it for the same thing you might use a tarp for. Except it's a conspicuous show of wealth. It's uh, You're flexing, right? You're flexing. And then somebody else is riding their bicycle to the grocery store to pick up groceries, not just for themselves, but for other people in the neighborhood who also need groceries, who are poor and hungry. Now, imagine in this scenario, you've got this Buick, beautiful Buick, parked out there for months and months and months. And you could have gone to the grocery store and back and forth and way faster, way easier than your neighbor who rides his bicycle back and forth, back and forth, picking up groceries, taking them to people who are hungry, feeding himself and also feeding your neighbors. And so you get all incensed. You pull out a megaphone. You go walking up and down the street, hollering and yelling about, what an idiot this guy with the bike is. Doesn't everybody know that you've got a Buick, right? You've got this Buick cost 200 times what his junky old bicycle cost. Nobody ever asked you to run to the grocery store and get groceries for everybody. You got way more money. You could buy way more groceries. How come everybody's asking him to go get groceries? Well, because he has been. Because he has been going and getting groceries. That's why. And you haven't. You're conspicuous, self-important, egotistical, flexing on everybody is about as good 
as parking a Buick in the yard to kill the grass so you can plant a garden. You could have done that with a tarp. You could have done that with a tarp. Yes, you have the thing, but you don't use it as intended. That's the point. That's the point of the word picture in the allegory. You have the thing, but you don't use it as intended. And you love not using it as intended because you're a selfish jerk, because you're an egotist, because you want to show off to everybody, hey, look, I've got this conspicuous show of wealth. I've got enough money to buy a Buick and just park it in the front yard to kill the grass. And meanwhile, the guy who's got so much less is using it to such greater effect. And it galls you because people actually are more impressed with him and his little bicycle than they are with you and your conspicuous show of wealth, which is all about your ego. And it's all about you trying to dominate the neighborhood. That is Brian Stelter and CNN and their whole health department, science department, super science scientists. You might have scientists. You might have very capable scientists on staff. I don't know. Maybe. And what are you using them for? And what are you doing with them? And what kind of direction do they have to hold to if they want to keep their job? That Buick isn't going to run to the store on its own. You drive it. Or you park it. And if you park it and you say, stay here, Buick, you just stay here and kill the grass, well, that's where it sets. And it's not that it couldn't have any utility. It's not that it isn't still worth a lot. I'm sure it is. But the longer you leave it out there and the longer you neglect it and the longer you're using it just to show off, the less anybody really wants to hear about your Buick parked in the yard. They see it. Yeah. Yeah, we see it. We also see that you're a jerk who cares about yourself and power and flexing and bullying. And we're tired of it. And meanwhile, this guy here, if you don't stop him, if you don't crush him, this guy here, maybe he gets a Buick too. Because maybe, just maybe, a whole lot of people see what he's trying to do in bringing groceries. And they say, somebody get that guy a Buick. And he'll actually take care of it. If the way he treats the people in the neighborhood who need some groceries is any indication. Now, this isn't to say... This is not to say that Joe Rogan is going to stick to his guns or that he is the hero. But it is to say, in terms of why people are tuning in to Joe Rogan and why people are not tuning in to CNN and Brian Stelter, Mr. Potato Head, in terms of why, it's because that's what it's like. It's a conspicuous show of wealth and power designed to just get more of the same, not designed to help people, not designed to grow individually. Have you ever, ever, ever watched CNN and thought to yourself, this guy talking to me right now, Jake Tapper, Brian Stelter, I feel like he's covering this in a really genuine, heartfelt way. Like he really wants to grow as a person and become a better person. And he wants the people that watch his show to become better people genuinely. Or, on the contrary, do you get the impression that they think they are the good people and they want you to know it? I know my answer. My answer is the latter. And like I said in the write-up for yesterday's podcast, one of those two approaches has a future.
and the other one does not. Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty look before a fall. But God gives grace to the humble. I think we should pray for Joe Rogan, because I think he's doing a good thing, and I think we should pray for people like Joe Rogan. And I think as Christians, and this was two episodes ago where I talked about the big Eva, so-called mainstream evangelical leadership that have big microphones and they have big budgets and they have big donors, more to the point. They maybe have certain connections and certain commitments and maybe that's part of why they do the things that they do because the people holding the purse strings are telling them, you want my continued support, just like a politician, right? You want my continued support? You want me to continue writing those big fat checks to your ministry? Here's what you're going to do. Here's what you're going to say. Here's what you're not going to do. Here's what you're not going to say. Maybe. Probably. Let's be honest. Probably. But two episodes ago, I tackled that question head on of, is a Christian damaging their testimony to be asking these hard questions, to be talking honestly about, hey, wait a second, are we being misinformed? Are we being lied to? Are we being oppressed? Is this not totalitarianism? Is this not oppression? Is this not tyranny that is creeping up on us or is already here, has us by the throat? Don't call it love. It's not love. It's lust. It's animosity. Hubris. Can a Christian have a good testimony any other way except by rescuing those who are being led away to the slaughter? By questioning, hey, wait a second. Does that make sense what you just said? Is that true? Does that follow? Does that add up? Does that bear scrutiny? I contend a Christian cannot have a good testimony except by being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, and yet nevertheless rejoicing with the truth. But we have to be committed to the truth, and we have to have some commitment to knowing what the truth is and being set free by it, and loving our neighbors like we love ourselves means that we want them to know the truth as well, so that they're free as well. Freedom is not selfish. Freedom is a gift from God. We have to use it well, cherish it, protect it, be good stewards of it. It has to be exercised and thought rightly of in the context of God's purpose, God's telos for us. But I, for my part, I hope the Canadians succeed. I hope they get new and better representation. I hope we get new and better representation. Not necessarily a new government, but new representation, because these folks are not representing us. They're not serving us. They see us as the threat. We are the pathogen. We are the problem. The Canadian government is at a bit of an impasse because if they just start arresting all of the truckers, in the country, then they have the same or worse problem compared with if they let the protests continue to shut things down, to lock things down. They're trying to block supplies getting to the truckers, confiscating, by many reports, fuel and foodstuffs that were being brought to the truckers to support them, to help them. Only God knows where it goes from here. But we should pray for wisdom, the good Lord's guiding, 
strength. We should pray that God would help us to know the right and to do the right by his grace. For those who have been complicit in all of this, we should pray for them as well, that they would repent, turn from their sins. And we should have forgiveness in our hearts for any who have done wrong through this whole business and do repent. Those who are having things they shouldn't have said, drudged up to destroy them. We shouldn't go along with that. That's a trap. Do justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. Micah 6, 8. What does the Lord require of you? He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. All three at the same time. I got to run, though. That's all for this episode. If you would, do me a favor. Hit subscribe. Hit like if you see this content in any of the places where I'm having it automatically shared to when I post to WordPress. Hit like, hit follow, hit share, hit subscribe. Leave a rating. If you only listen to this on a podcast platform, ratings will help a lot, a lot in getting this podcast out to more people in the general public, algorithm and whatnot. Uh, Algorithms depend on ratings, good ratings. So you don't have to give me a five star if you don't feel like I earned it. But if you don't feel like I earned it, I'd love to hear why and what I could do to earn a five star. If you do think I've earned a five star though, please put it in because that will help get this podcast out to more people Supposing it's been a help to you, share the love. But, again, as always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.